Yeah, no, 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 yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, no. Did you know uh, there was an English teacher and she was teaching some students and they said, you know, in the English language, two positives equal a positive, uh, a positive and a negative equal a negative, two negatives equal a positive, but never in the English language do p- two positives equal a negative. And a kid in the front row said, yeah, right. Kid, kid in the front row said, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. Please send your hate mail to <laughs> thecrunch at gmail.com. <laughs> They're on Hotmail. They're still on Hotmail. That's they true. didn't get the memo. I wonder if they even know what Hotmail is. Do, do you think that they know? Um, probably not. I feel bad. Ethan has texted me twice, and, I've just, and I haven't had a chance to get back to him yet. No, you Ethan, did the right thing. You did the right thing. I promise. I, I'm thinking deeply about the things that you asked me. Once he texted me, I was I, I don't remember what was going on. And then the other time, I may have been studying. Let's just say, can we say something about Ethan and Patrick? They're they wonderful really human beings. They really are good dudes. And he, they here's the th- really are. Here's the thing that really makes me feel bad. They're like, like doing good stuff on their show. They have like cool segments and interesting things. They're like, oh, man, we're way past trying to do that. <laughs> and every so often we think of cool segments and it never survives a second show. Yeah. I, I still miss the take Luke out to the woodshed. I think that <laughs> needs to become a recurring. <laughs> yeah. It should just be like, we'll just give my sister her own a voicemail line. You can just call and be like, this, okay, here's the thing. And she can say, blah, 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 blah. Like, whatever happened to that great segment of Luke moves back to the hometown, like hometown weirdness yeah. or whatever? We did, too. I, well, COVID kind of killed that. COVID yeah, we did a handful. That. COVID, yeah. what more will you take from us? <laughs> our segment, our ability to go and <laughs> abandon our families and drink, our... <laughs> Sense of taste. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, COVID. Uh, boy, I have to get a uh, have to get a vaccine, so that'll be fun. Yeah, so but I have fun. A very tiny window when I ha- when I have to do it. Mm, it's because that's of- not the only thing tiny. <laughs> Sorry, I went for the low hanging fruit joke. I mean, it was there. It was I saw there. it. You saw it as you always do. Yeah, as I always do. So, Gomer, have you sent our accountant all the information that he needs from you? Uh, yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't ask me any follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, could you see, I was about to say, could you see, see me on it next time? But now I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, just to be clear, everyone, um... This is about taxes that I still haven't done now for our institution of torches together. <laughs> I'm such a failure. I'm no, such you're a failure. Not. no, you're not. No, you're not. I just instead of I thought I would just embarrass embarrass you in front of our thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners, mm-hmm. as opposed to just like you know, hey man, I'm I, I know I'm no, it's fine. No, in your defense, you did say, "Hey, gentle nudge." <laughs> <laughs> I think like two days ago, maybe. This but we got guy. a couch, Luke. That was a that was a big <laughs> deal. No, we got a couch in my family. It was delivered from Costco today. It's one of those sectionals that's modular. There's a lot Ooh. going on. Ooh, that's very exciting. I'm excited about that. Are you? Because yeah. <laughs> now you have a great place to sleep when you come. I home. know exactly. Screw the room with inflatable. the air mattress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, inflatable mattress that lies to you and says it won't lose air during during the night. It always loses <laughs> like, air. I won't lose air. I didn't mean under a person this size. 
<laughs> I meant for babies. This is a bed for babies. <laughs> this is a bed for your average size Americans. You know, 5'8", 135. <laughs> average size Americans or the Japanese. <laughs> oh, man. Um, do you ever have any... Okay, what stuff, what either lines or songs or something from certain movies are, that you have in your head that when you hear certain things just instantly, like, hmm. like you say it in your head? Oh, we did this a couple weeks ago. I had a we line did. that I always say, and I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what it was. I mean, we didn't do this. You said something, and I had to say it. Um, wrecked him, damn near killed him, often in my head. What is that from? Uh, Dumb and Dumber. Wrecked him, damn near killed him. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, for, <laughs> that's such a wonderful part. I need to rewatch that movie. It's been a long time. It's such a I watched, wonderful watching movie. Watching that movie after you've watched the Jeff Bridges, you know, black and white, whatever that show is on YouTube. After their interview with him, and he talks about Dumb and Dumber, because he wanted an actor who would throw himself into the role and not a comedian. So that's mm-hmm. why they got him. Isn't oh, that funny? It's such a one. And the thing about I haven't watched, uh, I have not watched the second one because I heard it was so bad I couldn't bring myself to yeah, watch it. I just, I'm like, I, listen, I just, um, I was crushed when I heard that. I said, yeah, you know what? I heard that Jim Carrey made a whole bunch of revisions and stuff like that, which is just, you know. Probably why, but I don't want to, you know, let's, let's not assume anything, you and me. Um, <laughs> but what's very interesting about, the, about um, Dumb and Dumber is I was hearing the guy who directed and uh, who wrote it, I think it's Peter Farley or something, who had a really great run. He talked about how that was a film that he rewrote over and over and over again, and he would, like, his, his friends would, would all go out. They'd go back to his house, and then he would, like, read them the – he would, like, read them – the movie or they like asked him hey like read this one part again and he he started to see like what people thought it was really funny and just it got better and better and better based off of like those rewrites where he would just like you know show his friends what he was working on and it's i just always thought that was really interesting for a film that seems so just kind of like off the wall just how much probably really went really went into it that's so funny i love comedy writing because most comedy movies are so forgettable comedy movies are like sci-fi movies like it's very easy for them to be terrible forever, right? Like, I, I, every time I try to watch sci-fi movies, I'm like, really? This is what we're doing? Really? I watched a Bruce Willis one. Oh, Shannon, if you can hear me, what was the name of that terrible Bruce Willis sci-fi movie? Man, we watched it in the whole – and I even rented it on iTunes. And I was like, why not? It's got Bruce Willis. Oh, gosh. Oh, it was so terrible. But comedies, you know, I used to – like. If they don't make it when I was a kid, right? If the comedy movie wasn't really successful in the movie theater, it was endlessly replayed on TBS and USA. <laughs> yeah. You mm. get it for cheap. Um, <laughs> I – so, like, okay, this is what makes um, Dumb and Dumber so awesome is, like, you know they have, like, the pet bird and they, like, the head gets cut off and you think that's kind of it. And then the fact that they have it sold – it gets sold to a blind kid, and then they show it. Pretty bird, pretty bird, <laughs> pretty bird. Pretty bird. Paul, yeah. you want a cracker? <laughs> and then, like, it's those little things where it's like it's so absurd, but it like fits like the rules of comedy writing. But it's it's just yeah. done in a way where like you just do not expect to see a thing, and then it comes up again where he where he says, "I just thought it was really quiet." <laughs> I forgot about that. You sold my dead bird to a blind kid? Harry, I took care of it. <laughs> Duct tape. <laughs> uh, yeah. Our pets' heads are falling off. I don't know any other lines. What lines? What, what are you thinking when you, when you said that? Okay, so there's a lot of, like, randoms on, um, 
um, the Dumb and Dumber stuff, like where he's like, um, oh gosh, what does he say? Oh, he goes, uh, he goes, you've had two pairs of gloves this whole time and you never told me. Yeah, we're in the Rockies. <laughs> Like that. <laughs> I just, if it's cold, I'll be like, yeah, we're in the Rockies. This is my, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to think specifically of dumb. And, okay. So this is a thing that I will just think, I don't know why he goes, uh, what if he shot him in the face? What if he shot me in the face? And they go, well, that was a risk we were just willing to take. <laughs> Hey everyone, Gomer here, and I want to talk to you about a wonderful podcast called Pints with Jack. Pints with Jack strives to discover the truth and beauty of Christianity through the lens of C.S. Lewis. Join a Roman Catholic and a Byzantine Catholic each week as they discuss the works of C.S. Lewis chapter by chapter, which is awesome. So, currently they're going through the screw tape letters, diving into the mind of demons as they try to tempt us away from our Heavenly Father. Each week, they form a battle plan to defend against the spiritual attacks of Satan. Now, here's a cool thing. They divide their podcasts into seasons. And so in previous seasons, they've covered mere Christianity, the great divorce, Till We Have Faces. And next season, they're going to cover The Four Loves. Till We Have Faces was the first book me and my wife read when we were married as like this whole... We, we read a chapter and then discuss it because we're intelligent Catholics. How awesome that you get to follow along with an amazing podcast. In addition to the weekly episodes, they also have an after-hours episode with C.S. Lewis scholars from all different denominations. My favorite one being with the whole screw tape letters. They interviewed Father Dwight Longnecker about his book, The Gargoyle Code, and they talked about his perspective on C.S. Lewis and how it spawned this unique subgenre of like getting into the minds of demons. Really fascinating, really interesting. So head on over to pintswithjack.com slash podcast, and you can see all of the major podcast platforms that they're on so the google play store itunes all that good stuff so head on over to pintswithjack.com slash podcast thanks for pints with jack for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes and then like little things from um wayne's world you know like uh um, okay okay uh the obviously like uh what am i gonna do with a gun rack <laughs> different things like that and then in austin powers where he goes okay when he has to move her or something. Yeah, yeah, that's a good like, one. That's I'll, a good I'll one. think that if I have to move, I'll just go okay in my head like that. <laughs> totally weird. It's just those little things that just get in your head when you're a teenager or something, and then it's just it's just there. There's it's it's never going away. Yeah. So here's th- this is interesting. It's an interesting bridge to a previous conversation that you and I had, where you didn't tell me what you were going to talk about, and then you brought up a very in depth, sophisticated Marxist critique of corporations stealing the future, and just had me you know go with it. Uh, was, so the whole guy, point is to take it and then unpack it, not to like teach it to ourselves or like I, or, or, critiques. Or really, it's for Luke to sound like an intelligent person who studies no. Marxist critique on culture and Gomer to look like an idiot, like a freaking no, idiot. You just get annoyed when you can't do a 20-minute monologue on something. Oh, yeah? but well, you're ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so one day I took my kids to the gym, and instead of paying attention to them, I came up with a response to Mr. Marxist man. Okay? Oh, can't wait. <laughs> Well, I sent it to you. It was uh, it's like six pages long. Oh, so I'm I, just going to read it. I, did you not get my email? No, I did, but uh, I didn't send it back to you because it didn't. Shannon got it, and it didn't work for her. Did she so laugh like, at it? Did she laugh at the response that I sent to the two of you, though? Uh, yes, we did. Okay, we good. sat there good. and we laughed, and then we said, "Oh, I can't believe Luke dated Voldemort." And then we laughed again. <laughs> okay, uh, so you tell me. You tell me if this response makes sense. Okay, so Marxist man says the arts. The future of the arts is being stolen because of cap- corporate capitalism uh, is so dominating the music sphere and gatekeepers and all this stuff that 
you used to have a completely different sound almost every decade, and now for the last like twenty, maybe even thirty years, you're getting it. It all sounds the same. The rehashing old movie scripts. Well, and he's also talking about the speed of the yeah. of the, of the internet. So the ability to just rapidly consume stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so it's it's, it's not just now. It, it, it's you not do just have the domination that, yeah. of that, but but it's it's not it's not just. Yeah. I, I don't I don't remember exactly what he said because I I and again I'll say like what I thought what was interesting was when you view it from the techne perspective. I'm like, well, I mean, there's some again. I think I think you can see the truth in what he's saying. And not have to be like, see, so therefore the answer is bloody Marxism. Yeah. So <laughs> bloody Marxism. <laughs> That's what we should call it from now on. Not, it's not a Marxist critique. It's a bloody Marxist critique. I like that. But here, here's one of the things I was thinking of. I was like, what led to those radically distinct sounds from the you know, 30s with the big band era mm-hmm. and swing mm-hmm. in the 40s with – Pretty rapid. 40s with- if you stop and think yeah. about it, it's pretty rapid. Right. And so in my head, I was thinking, well, it's technology. You have the industrialization and and new technology coming out all the time that's being adapted and adopted into art and turned into new art forms. So, for instance, you have vacuum tubes, right? And you have new ways of recording record players that now enable, you know, hi-fis and all that stuff. They now enable um, things like electric guitars where you couldn't have – without electricity, you can have electric guitar, right? So in the 20s and 30s, you had – you had string instruments doing the big band stuff. Those weren't really plugged in except for microphones and speakers. But then they put the technology and were able to shrink it down into devices, right? And then you had the transistor, right? So you have the, 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 the wave of the electric guitar, and then you had um, disco, and you had the rise of synthesizers with the transistor, mm-hmm. and you have a whole bunch of stuff. So I was thinking, well, you know, it's kind of like – Capitalism gave us all these modern technologies in a rapid pace that, you know, you go from you go from uh, big band to vacuum tube to transistor to microprocessor with the synthesizer, all that stuff. And then to digital, right, to software, to the software side of things where you can manipulate sounds crazily, right? And you have the rise of, you know, that guy with the big mouse head and all that stuff, dead mouse or whatever he calls himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have that whole side of things. Uh, but then you kind of have, now that you have digital software, you kind of have a, um, a ton of creativity within that, but it's kind of variations on a common theme. And so I was thinking like, yeah, it's not necessarily that every era has its own sound, but it's like every era also has its own technology that got that, that the avant-garde artists adopted into their sound. They were at the forefront of. You know, hey, Johnny, you know the new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this, right? Like the the, the end of the 50s era with the electric guitar. So we'll comes take into the, that from them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All the things. But no, but, that, but then that becomes 60s rock and roll, right? And then the 70s disco. And then the 80s, whatever the hell the 80s was with synthesizers and the microprocessor and all that. So yeah. I think <laughs> that you can make a case in the exact opposite direction. Now, obviously, it doesn't answer every one of his arguments. But, yeah. How, um... <coughs> Sorry, um, I forgive you. This is the price of me having COVID, everyone. Um, <laughs> what am I trying to say? So, um, once again, here's Luke having to defend people on the left. Uh, so I ran. No, <laughs> no, no. So, no, I, I, I think you bring up a. That I think that is an interesting point. I think it kind of proves this point, though. I don't think it's the opposite. I, I think. 
okay. think what he's saying is that the that the sound is a reflection of the culture. Okay. And that basically culture has been effectively canceled because there's just we just have like a smorgas we just have like a smorgasbord of stuff. So it's you know it's kind of like mm. when you are um Luke and you discover that you go to the um the yogurt place where you can add all of you all of like your own stuff and you're in your mid to late um twenties and kind of ha- have some money that you're able to spend and it's like four bucks a pound. And you get like all the different things. You get like the Oreo stuff. You get the you get the eight different flavors. You get uh, you uh, have the sprinkles. You get the hot fudge. You get the caramel. You know and all that. And it's like it doesn't taste like anything. <laughs> I know it really does. It really, it just you know. And I, I think that's what he's saying is that mm. now because we have all this mm. stuff and we have all of this like instant access, that's just nothing. And so what we hear for the most part, it's not a reflection of anything that's going on. And I think part I think part of what he's saying is like because there's nothing going on. Is I think that's part of his argument is that uh, he goes into a little bit of um, and I do think that this is interesting. Where are like we don't you know the last place where a sound came out of a distinct um sound was you you know um had the Seattle um grunge sound. Now, granted, it wasn't just there, but but you had, had but before then you had certain sounds, certain you know um genres of music that came out of distinct um cities. Punk being you know um London, New yeah. York. Uh, you have um San Francisco. Obviously, you have a distinct sound coming out of coming out of England in the early part of the 1960s. Okay, um, okay. You have, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I yeah, like it. I, I, would, I would say even you have a distinct uh, sound coming out of. But it, but then this kind of like ties into your point as well, though. You have a distinct sound coming out of like Britain in the late in the late um 90s, kind of that like you know if you listen to certain um uh, 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 um Dido Oasis um and Seal, and I love the stuff of that time. It kind of like something about it kind of sounds the same, it's, yeah. And then you get that in again. I remember hearing that in like maybe like two thousand. I don't remember like it was like either the late aughts or the early two thousand tens, where a lot of Christian stuff. Anything I heard, it just it just sounded the same. Like yeah. not like the songs, but like the record. There was something in the recording, the way it was mixed, the the tones of the guitars. Yeah. It was oh, like that's really interesting. The yeah. same, yeah. I, I was like, this is really weird. This and, is what sells, you know. And then, but but there are there are like producers who have certain sounds. Like that's nothing new. That goes back to uh, mm-hmm. Phil Usfector, you know, who's kind of a murderer. Um, <laughs> uh, and his um, wall of sound, murdering fat beats. Am I right? And people, and people, but also beats. So he's so like you know. If, if you ever heard that song, like uh, you, if you heard a Phil Upsector song, you'd go, "Oh, that's he created that sound." Like that sounds like this one song and this, you know, and and it. But I think a lot of times those sounds were getting tied into cultural happenings. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. I got it. I got gotcha. you. But I. But you're right though, in the sense of like the technology, it is advancing it though. And I, I just oh so anyways. But the, the one thing that he is saying that I do think that this is interesting is that these these like cities people are being priced out of. Mm. And so because quite often like you got your you've got your big artists that are able to, you know, make you know, like make money, but I I think I've um, talked about this before on the podcast over the years. Um there's no money in art. Yeah. Like I think Derek Webb is right. You can it's a very like for the most part um you either like your ones that are doing it for life, it's very blue collar. You get your thousand fans, and you're able to uh, 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 make it work. And you're pushing your gear in, you know, in and out, and then and then you drive, and then 
that you know like like two like two thirds of your job while you're while you are on the road is just blue collar work. You drive and you push and you push equipment. <laughs> like that's it. And um the kind of thing of like let's be poor and go and I'm living in an area and like but we're gonna create stuff. There's a cool thing going on here. I don't know if that's really happening anymore. It is. It is definitely still happening. But the problem is right after the artists enter into a place and uh they're the they are the true avant-garde right they're the people who are maximally open who see culture and want to live in it so you have these artists from out of town move to the you know a rough part of town because they see a beauty there that other people can't see well i, I think it's often the, it's i think that's part of it it's also it's also because yeah. they can like either there are a bunch of drugs there yeah and or they can yeah. afford it yeah and but the, see that's the thing that's fascinating is like like the brownstones of was it was it Soho in New York that had this thriving starving artist community and the whole idea around it was like you go where you can afford but you need to be close to the the energy of the city yes, right yes yes and the people and, yes yep but see that totally. that's the cool thing because the artist is um, people who are artists I, I don't consider myself an art an artist in almost any way but like i love it i study it i i love the people that do it you know that they're like jerry seinfeld the way jerry seinfeld talks about comedians is that there's a fundamental way that they see the world differently and they see potentialities they see stories they see things that they just see things in a different way and their art brings those things out and dr regis martin really built a beautiful love of art for the, the artistic sensibility, like when you study the sacraments in the class, like you're reading Babette's Feast. I just found my old sacraments um, textbook handout, and half of the stuff for sacraments had nothing to do with the sacraments. It was all about art and art and mm-hmm. um, an artistic vision because for him, the sacraments communicate symbolically the ultimate truth. And that's what artists do under pigment, under sound, yeah, um, yeah. you know, yes. performance. 100%. And and so it, it's just so cool to hear different people like you have to have a certain mindset, mentality, persona, personality, whatever you want to call it, that sees in the low rent places something beautiful. And, you know, and I, again, I'm going to bring up propaganda because, you know, when you first introduced me to him, I immersed myself in the lyrics of propaganda for, I would say, maybe three solid months. And then I saw him in person and, her, you know, they did a whole um, series of interviews with him at the conference that I went to that was in Cincinnati. And you just got to know his thought a little bit more. And uh, I liked him less after that, but I understood him better. But one of the things that he talks about is this, this, this heartbeat ache in his, in his life for his city, his hometown. Right, like you're welcome to come here, but don't think we're gonna let you just change what this is. But then you have after the avant-garde artist, the 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 frontline artist who is at the bleeding edge. You then have this wave of the gentrifiers, and the gentrifiers come in because they're very similar to the artists. Right, they're very similar that they have the similar eye, but the artist just made that place beautiful, more beautiful than it was before. Yeah. So they're not gonna come in unless it's you know, bougie, you could say, or comfortable or whatever it is. And guess what? Now they're coming to this part of town because they have money and they're coming to buy the art and then they stay and, and, and buy a building and turn it into a high-priced coffee shop. So for all the rich people coming in from out of town to buy the art, they come to the coffee shop and it comes this reinforcing cycle where then they've taken out, you know, three, 
blocks of a slum area, yeah. and now it becomes too pricey for the poor people to live. That gave it that vitality. And then it just becomes a weird, like, vanilla thing to it after a and, while. And then, it, and then you get the yeah. big box, and then it's a Starbucks, and, and then... And yeah. this is kind of interesting because I think this is, you know, a bit of, like, the Christian angle on what that guy was saying in the sense that um, I get the most excited about our podcast or about podcasting when we're talking with other podcasters about it. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. There was, oh, yeah. There was um, something I, – I remember both at the Catholic um, Creatives Conference back a couple of um, years ago that I, that, I, that I went to and then at the last um, – seek. I think the peak of it was at Seek because it was kind of – I don't mean this in a bad way, but like everyone that was there were like, we're like legit. you know. And, and that sounds like – I don't mean that in like a in a um dick way. It's just like you know we have thousands and thousands of um listeners. Like this is a thing. We're doing it. Like you know we can – it's – and I, I'm not – it doesn't mean that like we're better or anything. I'm, I'm just saying like this – it was kind of like a – there was an – Influencer, I, I've never experienced anything. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to put this into words without coming across like a huge douchebag. But there was this thing of like, hey, we're all doing this thing, and like people here are really excited about it, and we're creating waves, and this is kind of fun to be a part of this. And it was really exciting. It was really exciting. I can remember being in the booth with Matt Frad and the Catholic stuff guy, and the Catholic st- and the Catholic um, and the Catholic stuff guys. And I had this thought of like, don't ever forget this moment, Luke, because this is really cool. You're here with like this. These are the best Catholic podcasters in the country. And you're in the conversation right right now. Like never forget this moment. And that's so – and there was like an energy And then Father that. Michael Schmitz walked by and said, hold my beer. Yeah, I know. I was like, <laughs> and then we're all just like, oh, oh, oh. You can I was make telling so someone much today, money. I was telling someone today that Father Mike Schmitz has the number one podcast – in iTunes, and it's been number one, I think, for four months straight. And they were like, what? No. What? No. You mean for Catholics? And I said, no. No. As a whole, no. Yeah. The, the number whole, yeah. one. And it's – well, but, like, what was cool about being out at Seek was there's this thing where, like, I felt like I – I don't know if I um, did this or or – or not while I was on the thing with when I was on the thing with on the Mad Fred and the and the Catholic on the stuff guys. I should go back and listen to it. I probably sound awful, but I remember being like, "Be on your game, man!" Like like trying to like I want I wanted to be really I wanted to be a good podcast. I felt the same thing when me and Dan crashed the guys on the crunch. I wanted to like really bring it for them, and I really wanted them to like. And they were doing a great job, and I wanted to like. I want to be like, you know what? Like, we are kind of good at this. Like, let's like let's do this. And um, and that's and when I'm like, man, I wish we could do that more often. And those uh, and those moments I've had when we've been around those um people, it just ups your game. It really like ups your um, creativity. And it it's a cool community. Like it, it yeah. feels like a community, and you're a part of a scene. When everyone came to the bar that we were at, we were hanging out with all of our with all of our um, oh, with all of our fans, so awesome. and like that was so we, awesome. we talked about it at length. But it's like it's kind of like that, you know. And the Catholic stuff guys, like they've even talked about that, how like cool that was, and how just everyone being able to kind of be around each other for a bit. It's like yeah. This is fun, and like, it doesn't last forever. It's kind of a little bit of like a taste to heaven, I think, because one, we're all awesome, but really, in the in two, the of, alcohol, three, like, but you, <laughs> yeah, seriously, but you have this like kind of like shared mission that's kind of that's you know a unique thing, and it's whether you're like a, and then this is why I think Catholic, I'm a, I think the Catholic creatives on the movement is so awesome, is yeah. because it is just this you know like 
thing of it's just fun to be around people who create stuff and everyone is just so fascinated by like what are you doing um, what are you doing and, and then you want to get better and of yeah. course you've got the one guy who's like kind of a douchebag i'm not gonna say his name but uh no actually i don't think, know if he's a douchebag at all i just remember being like oh of course you're here um, but <laughs> i didn't talk <laughs> no, to him or Luke. anything i know you know who didn't think that hmm. ethan or patrick they didn't think that about i know anyone. of course not of course not. but i'm just like i'm like i get it all uh like you're deep um, uh, did you just say his name? Come yeah. on. <laughs> Sorry. God. You can bleep it out if you want to. But, I mean, I oh, 100% agree with you. I was just like, <laughs> of course. Like, like it just um... – yeah, But you know what's funny, Luke? When you went – this was another failed – speaking of failed uh, segments of the show. We were going to – you were so on fire after coming from the Catholic Creative Summit. You, like, lit me on fire. You were like, this is what life should be like. And we were all talking and there were people doing ballet and there was this and there was that. And I was talking and everyone was on fire for, like, Christ but also for their art and creativity and beauty and all this stuff. And they were, like, legit and, good people. Like, they were – yeah, and then I said, so what we need to do is have, like, a segment once a week or once every other week where we, like, talk about this art. And we and I created, like, a little, like, a little, uh, like, a sound, of, not a sound effect, but, like, a little jingle thing or whatever to transition into that. And we did it once, and we never did it again. And I was like, who else, Luke? Who else? And then we never, we never did it again. <laughs> Just like when we said our show was going to be every other episode was going to be an interview. <laughs> that requires planning. We have so many like half-hearted Googled sheets of ideas. <laughs> we really do. God is here. God is no, but and, and I think like what, what tends to happen though, kind of going back to the point. Yes, please, um, please. Is that like it? And this is where I think the cancellation of the future comes in it, when it. Listen, I have no problem wanting to make money. I'm I work in freaking I work in fundraising. Homeboy loves a good free market. Um, <laughs> but not everything needs to be for sale. Yeah, not that, everything needs to be it. like like then um then um package and not everything needs to be like some stuff. It's just like it it just kind it does kind of ruin it and i think that i think that's a thing about a lot of rock and roll that i think we tend to forget it's like you're being sold something yeah like this is all pre-packaged this isn't some pure thing that people just kind of did and like you know i mean sometimes it is i think a, i think a lot of like especially like early early on the grunge stuff there's kind of the, that's you know you you get your lightning in a um hit a bottle things but you know these are um the there's a reason why we all know it. Have, and by the time it's a mass-consumed thing when it's art, very rarely is it a thing that actually um, – in order for the masses to really enjoy it, you need a lot of salt and a, like a whole lot of vanilla. Yeah. And it you loses to, you its to, You need to file down the rough edges. Yeah. You need to make it yeah. swallowable. Yeah. You know, and that's the um, – did you ever see that PBS documentary called The Merchants of Cool? I remember it, but no. Okay, so that was part of my the 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 rest of the tome that I wrote uh, during my kids' gymnastics. Which at one point, my five year old Thomas goes, "Daddy, get off the phone!" <laughs> and I'm like, "All right, do your jumping jacks or whatever the hell." You and do all the parents gymnastics. just like just glared at you. You're like, "I'm a no, podcaster." The, are Are you kidding me? All the parents didn't even hear it because they're staring at their phones. I usually have a book with me so that I can look up and do all the things. But this one time, I was like, "Luke will love these thoughts." So I did it for my Lukey. I did it for you. I sacrificed my relationship with Thomas for Luke. And let me this tell you, this is for I flat Lukey. 
I regret nothing. But the other part of the critique was was um, what they do is you literally have people from like Nike and Adidas, Adidas and uh, clothing companies and all this stuff going to insane clown posse concerts. They were like the Juggalos, right? The Juggalos, yeah. That's where they'd go? They would go there back like when no one heard of them, mm. right? And so the people coming because they realize – so basically what they want to do is they want to find – Art that is becoming cult-like without it being popular, right? So they go to the uh, Insane Clown Posse concert, and they they literally – these people just walk up and down with these little digital cameras, little pocket cameras, you know, and they take pictures of tattoos, the clothing that people are wearing, the earrings, the the, all this stuff, right? And they take all this data back. Like there's a guy wearing like a gas mask, you know, like from World War II. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and everyone's in fishnet, everything all the time, and all this stuff. So they take nineteen ninety six was such a weird year. It's, it was rough. It was rough. But then they begin to because these are the people who are on the bleeding edge that society rejects them. But the for them as the merchants of cool, they then take that back to their you know shoe place and their you know their their wardrobe place or whatever the clothing company, and they begin to turn it into fashion. That like only the elite fashion forward people would wear, and then it then becomes like more soft edges filed uh, or hard edges filed down to soft edges and vanilla and all that stuff, and then it becomes more palpable for the masses. But the reason why it also becomes palpable for the masses is the uber cool are wearing it. And they're doing it because no one else is. But once everyone else is, then it ceases to be cool. So the cool people have moved on to the next fad. So these people, their whole profession in life, their whole drive in life is to get ahead of the wave to the to the absolute. And they go to like cult-like places to try to find this stuff and see what's different. So they're at Burning Man doing, I mean, like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of research. That's interesting. By, yeah. And then they take it and they systematize it and process it and industrialize it and capitalize it and blah, 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 blah. And that's how they merchant cool. But then, but then the problem becomes once it becomes popular, it ceases to be cool. So the cool people have to move on. And what that does with technology is it rapidly increases the time of – or it decreases the time that fads stick around. So it becomes this super hyped up churn. Of what's popular, what's fashionable. Then you get fast fashion. You get all these different things that have just been horrific for the environment and for horrific for our culture. And to the point where we don't really have a culture, we just have cool. Gomer, what? Online dating is the new norm. I'm pretty sure it's equal, or in some cases, a more prominent way that couples of all ages and backgrounds are now meeting each other. And we can even do faith-focused dating. Wouldn't you rather start a relationship with someone you already know you share the same faith? Oh, duh. There's a dating app that is the largest dating app specifically for single Catholics. Unlike other dating websites that encourage casual relationships and mortal sin, Catholic Match primarily strives to help singles connect for the purpose of sacramental marriage. They also provide a community Get this, Luke, where Catholics can share their challenges of living a single life and you get to make new friends. It's all good, baby. These days, it's harder than ever for single Catholics to meet each other. Catholic Match is here to support single Catholics from all over the world by allowing them to easily, not difficultly, 
easily connect online. Are you telling me that they can create their own Catholic love story? How fantastic is that? They can be their own Tom Hanks and Meg, Meg Ryan. Every single week, Catholic Match gets wonderful new stories from Catholic couples who met on their service. Bam! Move over, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Catholic Match is making it easier than ever for Catholic singles to connect. Luke, you can use their app or their website to start connecting right now with other singles through messaging or doink, 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 video chat. It's super easy to get started with Catholic Match. Heck yeah! Everyone can make a free profile in just minutes and start meeting other Catholic singles now. Luke, where do they go? I'm so glad that you asked me, Mike. They can go to catholicmatch.com slash foxes. What's that address again? catholicmatch.com slash foxes. One more time for the old people in the back. catholicmatch.com slash foxes. I'd like to thank Catholic Match for sponsoring yet another episode of Catching Foxes. Faith-focused dating. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think this is one of the things that's dangerous about the internet, but also can, I think this is also the only saving grace of all this now is it, because there's so much, this is why there's, you're not really able to have anything that can appeal to the masses that hasn't already kind of existed, you know? And so the only answer I think is to then you have to let go an interest in mass and like mass appeal. Yeah, but and that's the hipster thing, right? Like, oh, uh, I liked it before it was cool, right? Well, no, 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 no. I don't actually, I don't actually mean that. I mean, you have right. to literally not care. No, I know, no, I know. I was joking that. The, okay, yeah, I, I agree with you. You I have to get rid of that's, it. You that's, have to. that's like a step, like just beyond of like I'm not, you know. So, like, I love. I have fallen in love with retrowave. Remember you talked about it way back yeah. when um, uh, Time Cop um, 1983 got – I'm real into the vampires. Sorry. And the cool thing with the Time midnight. Cop – the cool thing with Time Cop is – I, I don't know if it's cool, Luke, because now it's mass product. Uh, I was watching a Volvo commercial, and one of their songs is the Volvo commercial. There's no words. It's just the cool shots of the car and then like an airplane hangar or something with that song playing. I'd be so crushed if it, if it becomes weird. But, like, I remember, like, <laughs> telling a person that, you know, I, like, worked with who I don't think people would think would be into this stuff. But I'm like, if and she, and she was telling me how she loves, like, songs that sound like they are, like, out of the 80s because that was her time. I was like, oh, my gosh, you need to listen to this. If there's this weird scene out of, like, out, like, out in out in LA that young people are real into this, but it's kind of awesome. And it's, it's just 80s stuff, but in a very distinct um, way. And I, I think having to, this is both um, a good, good and bad. I think is that you have to define your own, you have to find your own. And I think it's good in the sense, because now you can kind of like reject this like consumer mentality of it. It might be a little bit easier to try to like reject that. And be more and, you know, take the view of, like, I'm doing this because this is good and adds value to my life as opposed to, like, well, this is just what we're all doing right right now. But then it's, like, I'm determining what's in my life, and it's all about me, and I'm the one who's in yeah. control of all this. Yeah, so, that, so that's what I was going to say. Like, the funny thing is the sprinkles, the Oreos, the caramel, and the chocolate are not necessarily now a series of consumer choices. It's, or like, a, you know, one – uh you know, it's not the toppings that you put on your ice cream. You're now sampling because of technology and fads and all this stuff. You are now sampling from cultures, plural. So your Oreos is I want to be a zoot suit guy and I'm going to wear a, a, a top hat 
you know, I'm going to wear a hat and go to a haberdashery and I'm going to slick my hair back like they did in the 30s. And then you have these people um, who, you know, like they're, they go to the 80s and they live. It's not just the music, but it's even the clothes. And then like this is the thing that I think is fascinating. It's almost like we don't have a culture. And so we've commoditized other cultures, whether it's our own culture's past or other cultures around the world or whatever it might be. And we've turned them into consumer goods, right? So you have people that walk around – like, you know, you've been at Catholic young adult groups where there's that guy who pretends like it's the 1950s and he's dad, for, you know, and he walks around wearing a full suit and you're like, dude, we're at a bar. Well, I like to get dressed up and so women know that they are appreciated by me, by the way. And you're like, "What? who are you? What are you? What is this? Also, right? your tie is too long and your suit isn't fitted for you. You just look weird. Black and red, not really good look. Suit, suit, Ryan, Ryan, throw back a bottle of beer. Right. So, but you know what I mean? Like, now it's like the things that were cultural fads, like swing dancing, like I can just sample it and make it a part of my life, uh, even though it is an art form. Like, I don't want to deny that. Like, we have a friend, a mutual friend, who is now going fully into ballroom dancing and salsa dancing and all this stuff. But there comes a point where, like, I realize, like, you look around and you're like, what, what? And Father David Huss asked me this at the um, evangelization boot camp. He said, well, how do we create culture? And I, I think you can't separate culture from the community question because it has to be local. It has to be a bunch of starving artists in the same gross apartment building, you know, that, that, they, that they build this collaboration you know, it's like the collaboration that you were talking about when we were at Seek, and we're just surrounded by the people that we admire and respect, but also people that will – that when we get together, we amplify one another, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's not happening because I think the internet makes us feel like it's happening. Like like friends on Facebook, they're not really your friends. Like it makes us feel like we're collaborating, but we might not be, and that breaks my chubby little heart. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been a little bit weird too, just because of uh, just just like just because of COVID and whatnot. Like, and I think that that's amplified happened. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We all would have been together like you know a couple a couple of months ago. And look, um, I think we should have a party down here in Texas. Um, yeah, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I think we should have a party in in July here in Texas. I uh, think you and your wife should come down, and Everly should come down, and we yeah, should just and, go into the woods. And uh, put on goat heads and just do what, do what comes natural, Luke. Do whatever desire we have. We'll have a bonfire. There'll be alcohol there. <laughs> It'll be great. No, and I, 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 I'm sure snakes yeah. will make an appearance at some point. Some guy with a very long uh, albino python. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I, I don't know. Listen, I, I don't, well, I don't, I'm, I'm not here to script out life, Luke. If a guy with an albino python wants to show up at our party, I'm going to let him, Luke. It's called living life, Luke. You're going to have your fire movement on people over here. You're going to have your woodworkers over here. You're going to have your uh, a reading all of the classics people o- over here. You're going to have your home gym people over here. Uh, you're going to have your Lord of the Rings people right here. You're going to have, like, your people playing um, Quidditch right here. <laughs> so you had me. So you were laying out my life until you got to the Quidditch thing because. I know. It was a bit of a Because I'm scared of balls. <laughs> Quidditch balls. The snitch, really. 
Swing low. <laughs> Sweet chariot. Sweet chariot. Uh, okay, Luke, so I have a topic for today. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was like, I had a topic, but now it's gone. But this is the we, – we wanted to do a tight hour. We're doing a tight hour. What, tight. what was your topic? I think we, I think we exhausted this no. for what no, mental we, energies we, we have. We have. Um, yeah, will you take out my one comment where I said that guy's name? I feel bad. Yeah, no, I'm totally going to take it out, but in an artistic way. Although one of our Patreon supporters came up with a really funny thing called the reverse Gomer. Did you read that comment? I, I laughed I been able to be so hard. Wow. I was crying, Luke. So, um, Jonathan, uh, said, oh, Jonathan has, has such great stuff. He's so good funny. man. Good man. But he said, he said, so pulling a Gomer, I, I can't remember. I'm trying to do this off the top of my head, but basically, uh, a, a Gomer is where I say, I'm going to edit something out that you say, and I don't. And it's only because I accidentally forget to and never do it on purpose. But then a reverse Gomer is where I tell you, Hey, I really want to hear what you have to say, but then I never let you say it <laughs> during the show. And apparently, <laughs> apparently, and I was I went back and listened to um, uh, the "Her Name Is Hope" episode, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I w- w- some Patreon supporters and fans of the show have written me uh, incredible stuff, and uh, and one individual wrote to me via a typewriter, and um, I. Holy cow. Yeah. I uh, I was hoping, Luke, that you would know who that person is. But uh, the letter that they wrote to me was incredibly beautiful and um, and really intense. And just thank Actually, you for... Actually, if, if it's a yes. typewriter, yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, okay, cool. That's awesome. It was... It was... Uh, yeah. It was incredible what he wrote and what... And the fact that that episode was very meaningful for him. But I say this because um, as I re-listened to the show... I remembered Jonathan's quote, which was so funny. A reverse Gomer is where Gomer says he wants to listen to something. I'll let you get back to it, Luke. But then he never does. And it was, I said, you were like, so my, I was talking with my therapist and I said, and it, but something you said triggered something in me. And I was like, I'm going to let you, I want you to share that real quick. But, and then I shared something and then I, it was like, I wouldn't let you talk about your therapist thing. Some realization that you had. And it was before we kind of dove into the, the stuff, the miscarriage, but um, it just went off. And I, when I saw that, I just, I'm sorry. It was just too funny. It was too funny. I had to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com slash CF. <laughs> so look what your therapist said. You just did. I don't remember. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> what was the topic that you wanted to bring up? Perseverance, especially as Ugh. it relates to the faith and just. Uh, but we don't have enough time. Ugh, that sounds boring. Oh my gosh, you're welcome, America. Marxism forever. Bloody Marxism. <laughs> Bloody Marxism forever. Perseverance never. <laughs> but if, Marx- if bloody Marxism is forever, doesn't that involve perseverance? Shut up, you. <laughs> I did have something funny kind of happen to me from the, the, the last talk, or the last talk, the last episode. Um, That's a right triangle, you idiot. <laughs> what? What is that? Is that a Dumb and Dumber it's, quote? It's, That'd be so no, perfect no, if it no. was. It's a, it's a very – it's just a Simpsons quote. Don't worry about it. It's, that's, that's for like one person. You're welcome. There you man. go. Anywho, <laughs> I, here's a statement. That, so we got about 10 minutes left. No, here's no a just statement. say your talk. You're here's doing a, your no, talk this is this, It's not really a topic, but it's a statement that like when you hear about Orthodox Christians, what do you think about? Like the Orthodox, like the Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. I, I, you know, to be honest, I don't really know too much. I tend to think of a person with like a black long robe kind of outfit. He's a little bit older, a very long beard, and then some type of like hat. Yes. Like a cylinder hat. 
he's got like a little like thing that's helping him walk. He's got like a cross chain, <laughs> and he's just like, uh, I'm the ancient of days. Yeah, he's, and he and he has an accent, and he's wise. Um, and I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about you. Okay, right there, right there, and he's wise. I think most Catholics, when they think of the Orthodox, think of them like we're like, ooh, like mystery and. Um, like these are the people who are like literally living the church fathers and like there's like this no element. No one thinks that. Yes. Yes. No. I no, talked, no. 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 I, no. No. A very small group of people who went to Franciscan and think these things. They. I would never associate church father with that. Really? With the Orthodox? No. Never. No. I, listen, a, I understand. I under. Listen. Our little Franciscan world with a certain group of people in that group. Yes. The vast majority of practicing um, of practicing um, uh, Catholics. No. Mm. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, what do you think of uh, the vast majority of practicing Catholics think about the Orthodox if they ever think about them at all? Everything I just said. It's just the hats. Yeah. <laughs> I have no thoughts on it. I don't know why they're angry at us. I don't know. I mean, so, I so that's what I was going to say. Luke, that's what I was going to say. This is what I want to say. I, I, so I have been, in order to prepare for my atonement theology class for my Protestants becoming Catholic, for some reason I decided to listen to a bunch of Orthodox theologians. And I went down such a dark hole. I had no idea. Like when, when a lot of, okay, Catholics like me think of the Orthodox. We tend to think, well, these are the people who hold on to a traditional faith in the East, in their various ethnic groups, right? Because orthodoxy is very bound to nationalities. And we think about, like, yeah, they, they their theology kind of hovers around the monastery and the church fathers, and the Eastern church fathers. And they don't really go from there. And it was funny because I was like, I wonder what do Orthodox think of Roman Catholics. Like, do they think of us as like, yeah, we're buddies against the Protestants like I think of them, right? Like, they got seven sacraments and they got all this stuff. And then I listened to them. And I have been listening to several metropolitans and a couple theologians and all this stuff. And I'm like, holy crap, do they hate us? Holy crap, are they mad at us? They do not like Roman Catholics. What, what do they hate us for? Oh, my gosh. What don't they hate us for? It, it, One, it original sin. <laughs> original sin. The filioque. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, the, the purgatory. They don't believe in purgatory. Um I did not know that most of them do not believe in the same type of original sin that we do. So when they asked, hey, what do you think about the Catholic Church defining the Immaculate Conception, the response of, like, the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople was, uh, was a mouthful, um, uh, an elegant solution to a non-existent problem because they don't believe in original sin or some modification of what we would believe of original sin. But the, I just found it so funny. And so I was listening to these things, which she is probably the Taylor Marshall of the Orthodox community. Maybe, I don't know, but here's this woman who's married to an Orthodox priest. And she, she has some videos that she does where she presents on the Orthodox faith in a very terrible studio setup. But then she interviewed a retired archbishop, a metropolitan and man, he could not go Five minutes without bashing the Roman Catholic Church. Just like side comments, right? But the funny thing was she took what he was saying and would layer uh, words on top of the video, right? So she would be like, oh, the Frankish Church, which is a Germanic church, and then would put parentheses Roman Catholic clearly. And then every so often he was talking about something, and she would put a picture of Hitler, Napoleon Bonaparte, and Charlemagne as being representatives of the Roman Catholic Church really is the like Taylor Marshall of that group, right? So I Who's, was like, I want to find. Mo- tell us the catching foxes of that group. I want to find them. I want to drink with them. I want to know them. 
<laughs> I want to party with them. But it was so fascinating. So I'm listening to this, and this is what I realized with the with the Greek Orthodox theory of atonement. So the guy was critiquing penal substitutionary atonement, which is a Protestant <laughs> theology. Right, exactly. Penal. I laugh every time. What did I say tonight where – oh, I said tonight as I'm teaching adults, you know, other humans who are more sophisticated than I am. I go, let's talk about the sacramentalism present in the Old Testament. So, like, there's a whole subsection of, uh, of, of Exodus where God tells Aaron – I said, I think it's hilarious. I go, the section is called Aaron's Rod, and the sixth grader in me laughs every time I read that. <laughs> One guy in the classroom just goes, Pfft. And then everyone else just rolls their eyes. And I go, no, I get it. I get it. Anywho, back to theology. This is why you and me can never do a thing like that together. We would just turn and stare at each other and just start cracking up. And I go, it works on so many levels. Let's turn to uh, chapter 6, verse (laughs) 9. Yeah. Yeah. But no, so this Orthodox theologian, he was going through, and I thought it was really beautiful. This is what he he said, like, you know, in in the Roman church, they emphasize the death of Jesus so much. That they ignore uh, that Christmas becomes a silly thing with a little plastic baby doll in a crash and all this stuff. He said, but really, if Adam's sin is – if alienation – if in the garden what we have is alienation from God and the result of that alienation is sin, then the human alienation from God is ended in the union of the divine and human nature in, the, in Jesus, in the word made flesh. So he said – it's the incarnation that is our salvation. The death is his solidarity with sinners taking on the consequence of sin. But that's – it's not a blood – this was his big thing. And this, this was fascinating listening to because I agreed with half of it. But he said the death of Christ on the cross is just – is the paschal lamb, right? Jesus is the paschal lamb. He's the Passover. That's not a sin offering. God wasn't trying to get blood from Jesus and pour his wrath out and kill Jesus because he hated him. How could you have hate within the Trinity? He said, no, the son willingly uh, identified with humans. That's why he entered into death. But the father never hated him. And to say that the blood was, that uh, justice was satisfied by the death of Jesus is pagan theology. And he said, that's what the Roman church gave the world. And obviously the Lutherans and the Baptists took it to the extreme of penal substitutionary atonement. I'm a guilty sinner worthy of death. Jesus took in, uh, took upon himself my condemnation and made satisfaction by dying on the cross. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And because he paid the debt, now I'm able to be forgiven. And he's like, that's not God's love at all. What do you think about that? Um, huh. I actually think it's really challenging, and I I do like the idea of um, Christmas being more important than what like than, than the weight yeah, that we yeah. actually give it. I think there's a lot. That's a very uh, Franciscan idea, right? But uh, I, I think that's actually pretty interesting. I, I don't know a lot about like atonement theory, you know, or any of that stuff. So I, I feel like I'm um, very much out of my depth. But I do want to try to take a stab at this. I. I think what what that takes away from is that idea that I've been fascinated by this is that uh, you know how in the Jewish tradition they would take they would um, it's not the sacrifice of of the animal it's what you do with the blood that's yeah. the new life that comes from that that's like the sacrifice of like you know yeah and I think it takes away from like Christ like what the blood what the blood of Christ does to give us new 
life because you're right it does christ coming into the world ends that alienation which i think is really interesting isn't that cool I yeah like that's that. uh, that's a really like that a cool idea yeah. um that i think a lot of um like that's actually pretty i feel like a, i think that's the thing that actually would really speak to modern man i do too i do too um, I but do too. i i think to take away from this idea of like the new life that comes that comes from that um because it's just like okay so then and then what you know, like that, like that. I don't see if if you if it's just that. I don't see the need for repentance necessarily. Necessarily, like I I I think you can get to it. Obviously, okay. So like, how do I like like so now that God's here, like what does that mean? Blah 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 blah. But like, I think the urgency of repentance is is kind of. I, this is and again, I, mm-hmm, um, I I I. Uh, I do wonder though, like, does it take? You know, it's kind of like I, I like I really like the Balthasar idea that, like, listen, the I'm a Christian, uh, like, the I'm a Christian experience is one big thing. You cannot have Easter without the cross, and I wonder if there's this thing of like you. Um, I do think that Easter and. Easter and Christmas, we don't really often talk about them in the same sentence with what they mean for the world. Right, 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 and that's a problem. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I think that's actually I, – I feel like it does – I don't think to like – to uplift the importance of Christmas, you need to then downplay Easter. Yeah. Or or not Easter, but Good Friday. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Which I is like – but I think Good Friday is I, – <laughs> I, I, I do think it's – um. huh. So let me tell you what, what I think, and, and then you give me your feedback, okay? Okay. Okay. We hit the one hour mark, but I think I think we can do this in like ten minutes. I, I don't think this okay. is a big deal, but um, I believe it. So, so the guy said the guy kept saying it's not a blood sacrifice. That's Moloch, and that's um, you know some other pagan deity that's mentioned in the Old Testament. That's what they want. They want the blood. They want to feast on the blood. God over and over again says it's not about he's it's not his bloodlust, right? And he said. Again, Christ was the Passover lamb. He's the lamb of God. He's the Passover lamb. That's not a blood offering. That's not even a blood, uh, a sin offering in the Old Testament, right? Like even if you're talking temple worship, it's not the blood offering. The, the Passover lamb is not a substitute, right? Yes, you get it. You sacrifice it. You take its blood and you put it on your doorpost and lintel. But it's not meant to be like I sinned. It's not about sin offering. It's like. This communal meal and this lamb, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I can't remember exactly how he phrased it. Not only did I watch that Metropolitan and, and this woman, um, I also watched an Orthodox theologian lecture on atonement theology. And it was fascinating because he said the exact same thing as the Metropolitan. So I feel like I'm somewhat in the mainstream of, of what their position is for a YouTube video. You know, obviously there's a lot of nuance that, we, that we're probably missing. But both of them said, the theologian and the Metropolitan said – Jesus' sacrifice is not a sin offering or a guilt offering. It's the Paschal Lamb. Because St. Paul says explicitly, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast. What do they mean by the Passover Lamb? So the Passover Lamb is the lamb in Exodus, wherein the angel of death came. They sacrificed the unblemished male lamb in the prime of life, spread its blood, you know, roasted it whole, and then ate it with the unleavened bread. So in the temple liturgy after Exodus, so when they're in the tent and then when they're in the temple— the rest of the sacrifices are like if there are three different types of sins in Israel. There's a sin uh, when you break a commandment, but you did it unwittingly, meaning you didn't know it. 
when you find out that, oh, crap, I did break a command of the Lord, then you have to offer a, a sin offering. There's venial sin, essentially called the infraction of a minor thing. And then there's mortal sin. And, and really, outside of Yom Kippur, there is no sacrifice for mortal sin in ancient Judaism. And the, literally, the Jewish encyclopedia, when you type in sin offering, will tell you, they will literally use the Catholic language of venial sin to talk about that second category. And when the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies, once a year on Yom Kippur, he would quote a psalm, and I can't remember what psalm it is, but it says basically like, we have sinned, we have done, uh, we, uh, it's, it's three Hebrew words that talk about the three classifications of sin. And it's a day of atonement. So they would intone, you know, we have sinned in your sight, we have committed iniquity, we have embraced uh, wickedness. And so they, it, they say the three classifications. So it's almost like saying, we have created, we have, we have done mistakes, we have venially sinned, and we have mortally sinned, would be the Catholic equivalent today. And then they intone all these different categories of sin as they are sprinkling the mercy seat of, of the Ark of the Covenant. And I thought it was so fascinating because this is the thing that blew my mind when I'm listening to the Orthodox. Because they constantly focus on the Passover lamb like that brought them liberation from Egypt. But there are so many passages that talk about Christ as a sin offering. And Yom Kippur, not Passover, but Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. There are so many passages. There's a Greek word called hilasterion, which is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where God would come down on the Holy of Holies. That's why Yom Kippur exists, because they sanctify the temple of sin by throwing the blood around, just like you were talking about, Luke. But then they go into the Holy of Holies where only the high priest goes and he flings blood on the mercy seat, also known as the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, where God sits on and encounters the high priest. And they repent of their sin so that God would be in their presence. Sin drives God from our presence. So we throw the blood, we cleanse it, we purify its pollution so God can come down. St. Paul says that. He uses the word hilasterion, which is the Greek word for mercy seat, over and over again. And so I'm listening to the Orthodox and I'm like, but like in Romans uh, 3.25, in 2 Corinthians chapter, oh gosh, 5, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Protestant says, see, he became sin. God hated Jesus because of the sin, killed Jesus because of the sin, and then resurrected Jesus because he finally condemned sin in the flesh. But the Jewish way would say, he who knew no sin became a sin offering so that we might become the mm -hmm. righteousness of God. That's in continuity with Judy, Judaism's temple worship. And if Jesus's body is the new temple, then he is also both the high priest and the sacrifice, the victim. So he, so, and, and it's funny because in Leviticus like 25, I don't know. I'm not going to do the teaching Luke. I'm not, you say, no, 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 but no, 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 he right, says right. In, in Leviticus, it, it'll just say please sin when teach. it means <laughs> just please Jesus. It'll say sin when it means sin offering. So he who knew no sin became a sin offering so that we might become the righteousness of God. That both invalidates the Protestant side and the Orthodox side, because it says Jesus is the Yom Kippur sacrifice. Jesus is the Passover lamb sacrifice. Jesus is the cereal of the, the, the cereal offering, the grain offering, the unbloody sacrifice. And it's funny that whenever you read Leviticus one through five, where it talks about all these different things, whenever you get to the grain offering, the, what they call the cereal offering, Whenever you get there, which is in, I think it's in chapter one, maybe chapter two, it says every time it talks about a grain offering, 
it says it'll be a memorial. Like the priest, so the blood offering is atonement. The grain offering is a memorial. When Jesus offers a grain offering with his apostles at the, at the, in the upper room, he says, do this in remembrance for a memorial of me. But when he's on the cross, it's almost not, it's, it, it is the Passover lamb, but it's also the sin offering, the guilt offering, the peace offering. Like it's all of the things. And it's, to me, it feels like the Catholic representation preserves all of them both the Passover lamb and the sin offering. Whereas in the Protestant Reformation, it feels like it's more the sin offering. And in the Orthodox Church, it's exclusively, repeatedly, just the Passover offering. And that changes the way you think about it from that point on, like what it does. Because if you believe it's a sin offering and that alone, then eating the Last Supper, a.k.a. the Mass, Communion, Eucharist, is not really participating in what he did for me 2,000 years ago. It's just a meal of remembrance. Mm-hmm. It's a community yeah, building yeah, thing. Yeah. Yep. 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 But the and Orthodox don't funny. think that. Yeah. I was just about to say it's funny how much that attitude has probably impacted culture. Yeah. You know, like just because from the Protestant standpoint of uh, your crosses are then empty, like and, and you know, like you you don't have like you. It's. Um, I mean, you could say like the need for something like a big tent revival comes from that. mm Hmm. Because it's this understanding of, of like this thing right here that you have to enter in, like you're entering in into it is by just the sheer acknowledging of it and then owning it. Yeah, it's extremely privatized, subjective. Me yes, and, yes, me and that. Yeah. And then I, I don't know, I don't know enough about Orthodox culture, so I, right. But this kind of it seems like almost there's like a deep mystery to it. I'd say there's kind of like a richness to it, and I. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's, there's it connect. Like, there's a very. It's there's like a. It's like how could Protestantism? And I mean, like mainline. I'm a Protestantism right now, and that they, they just they. It's like oil. It's like oil and water almost. When you think about just like the way, like the way that their buildings look, the, the way that their buildings look, the way that their, um, for lack of a better term, pastors dress. You know. One guy's in like tight jeans, hip glasses, and like a flannel shirt on Looks right so now. So good, so yeah. Good. And then the other guy like hasn't changed in like a thousand years. Um, there's <laughs> there's like an internal element to that. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of have Roman Catholicism, which is actually over time you have the richness of both of those things. I would say, and then you also have like the depravity of. I, I don't know what the depravity like. I'm sorry, that's that's not that's not the right word. Um. Well, okay, so let me let me give you a for instance. You so see where the, I'm going with this though? Yeah. Okay. You, the Orthodox the Orthodox Metropolitan said the problem with Roman Catholicism is they turn it to the blood sacrifice, which is pagan, which it isn't. It's in the Old Testament, repeatedly, right alongside all the other stuff. But he said, um, and then one of the things they do is they believe in satisfaction. Since Anselm, but you see it in Augustine and Tertullian too. And satisfaction is like Sin creates a debt that needs to be paid. That's the origin of satisfaction, right? There's something that needs to be paid here that is going unpaid, that's going unresolved. So the death of Jesus pays the price for my death and your death that we deserve because of sin, because the wages of sin is death. So Jesus pays, right? So when the guy was saying that, he was like, the Roman church has always been obsessed with legalism, which is true. 
has always been obsessed with Roman law, which is true. It's, it's influenced our code of canon law. The Eastern Church has never had a code of canon law, and Pope John Paul II very nicely asked them to have a code of canon law, so there is a code of canon law for Eastern churches. Um, but that's not a part of their nature, right? And so, or their culture, or whatever. So, uh, but very much is a part of mine, or a part, a part of ours in, in the Roman Church. And the guy kept saying, "Why does the Roman Church keep wanting to take things that are familial and turn them into a courtroom legalistic drama, or something along those lines?" And I'm, the whole time I'm listening to him, I'm like, "Because Saint Paul uses the words acquittal and condemnation." And the judgment of God, those three terms, the literal Greek words, are the most juridical words in the Roman Empire. Condemnation, acquittal, and, and, and the judgment of God are the predominant themes of Romans 1 through 8. So I'm like, why is this guy missing this? Why, why have they rejected this? And the funny thing is when you have a satisfaction theory of atonement, you have purgatory. The Eastern Orthodox don't have purgatory, Right? They don't, they, the, the, but they have penance, but they don't have penance. I mean, they do, which is, I think it's kind of weird that they have a, a, a similar system of, of understanding like penance and asceticism, but they don't have a satisfaction theory of atonement. So it's just cool to see how these different versions reverberate out through the three great kind of trunks of Christianity, yeah. the Catholicism, yeah. the Orthodoxy, and the Protestantism. Yeah. And I, I do think it's interesting how it just, are, like, you can kind of see that trickled, and I'm sure it's. Yeah. I, this is not doing it justice, but like just the way that we view the world, the way that we like dress, you know, like it kind of it, it, it impacts that. That kind of answers Father David's Father David's like question, like how do you like create culture? It's like how do you view reality? Yeah, that's like because I don't think like, I think culture can be cultivated. I don't necessarily think it can be created. Like I don't think a lot of I don't think people meant I don't think Ike Turner when he made the first rock and roll song. Um, was like, and then we shall have punk, you know, and like it shall be. Right, he, right. he was just trying to like play a sped up um, version of the blues with a bit of like our, you know, like uh, with a bit of like an upbeat R and B, you know, he- electric tone. And because he was just like interested in like you know, he was coming. Uh, that's where he, he was coming from. These things to create a thing that kind of reflect, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, hmm. All right. Yeah. I also love to, uh, any any chance I have to bring up the fact that Ike Turner created um, rock and roll. I'm fascinated I by that whole idea. Did not know that. Yeah, I did not. Know it's that. it's kind of the big like ooh, let's not talk, let's not um, talk about that because of you know is the Ike Turnerness of it all, which some people <laughs> think is very like you know is up for debate. I don't know. Um, uh, I but uh, it definitely seems like he was not a very nice a person by any means necessary. But was he let as me, bad as? Hmm? Let me tell you one thing, Luke, about Ike Turner. That affects my life. You ready for this? When I took my beloved bride to New York City in January of 2020, I wanted to go see a Broadway show. We stayed in Times Square. We were right there. She didn't want to go. The Tina Turner musical was everywhere. I've heard that's great. I know. Oh, Luke. I heard it's great. I know. I know. Yeah. And that Sarah Morales or something, some famous singer, Sarah. I don't know anyone. She was, that was the last night she was the lead. What wait, sh- wait, she was a lead in the Tina Turner she, thing? No, 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 remix. I, I was, <laughs> she was invited to be uh, the chief actress on a Broadway show. I, I think it was called The Waitress or The the, yeah. the Diner or something like that. That was, that was literally in our building, the hotel that we were staying at. They were hosting it 
All of, there were so many great shows, and my bride decided she didn't want to go to any of them. She's the I'm not going to write you a love song girl, right? Yes, I think guess so. where, Guess I where think, she's yeah, from? You're never going to uh, believe this. She's from Dayton, this. Ohio. No. She's from Yellow Springs, Ohio. No. She's from Steubenville, Ohio. No. Is she from Ohio? No. She's from my neighborhood? No. Okay, where is she from? Eureka, California. Eureka? I work with her sister. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns out, like, the guy uh, was, like, the guy who I was his um, confirmation officer, so he's like, yeah, that's, like, my cousin. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, that's Whatever. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Uh. Well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, special thanks to our sponsors, Pints with Jack and Catholic Match. <laughs>